Folks, it's absolutely October time, and we all know what that means. We need to get our costumes ready for the night we're allowed to go door-to-door picking up the Butterfingers. Well, instead of spending a whole day trying on sexy Ken Bone costumes in store, why not go to CostumesForLess.com? CostumesForLess.com is a leading online retailer of Halloween costumes and accessories, drama and theme party costumes, lingerie and sexy wear, shoes and party and wedding supplies that's right they absolutely have shoes if you're looking for converses nikes adidas go to costumesforless.com their mission is to offer you the most pleasant online shopping experience by providing the widest selection of products at the best possible prices via our easy to use full featured and secure website that's right it's secure it's no equal facts let's just say that you're not going to get your information stolen by an absolute ghoul Get your Halloween costume today and get free shipping on your order by going to BoardWalkAudio.com slash costumes. That's BoardWalkAudio.com slash costumes. This is a BoardWalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Before I talk about our guest, if you're an aspiring comedy writer out there and you want to have your pitch read on the show, you can. Just leave me a five-star review in iTunes. I cannot stress that enough. It must be five stars, four stars, and you don't get shit. Five-star review in iTunes with the pitch, and I'll read it to the guest and give you credit. This is uh, outsourcing of one of my jobs, but uh, it, I think it'll be fun for you. So enjoy uh, the savings of uh, work that I'm passing on to you. So our guest this week is Brian Kiley. He's an OG Conan writer. He's been there since 1994 that's 23 years of writing late night comedy i can't that's insane uh and it's for conan too who in my mind is the best late night show of all time he's a a great monologue writer we talk about his approach to writing jokes in in this episode and just you know working for years in a in late night comedy if you like this episode i recommend checking out our other late night episodes like the ones with jack allison jeff loveness jenny jaffe and last week's laura wilcox so here is Brian Kiley. Uh, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Newton, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were you um, interested in the comedy back then? I was, yeah, ever since I can remember, yeah. I remember when I was in elementary school, I got in trouble where I took a joke book out of the library. <laughs> And I didn't return it. And my brother's like, well, you can go and renew it. But that seemed too complicated for me. Right. So I just kind of held on to it. But I remember I was probably in first or second grade. So I don't know. Yeah. What what was like the joke book? It just had, um, it was just a lot of like puns and, and, you know, little kid jokes, you know. But uh, I was, I guess... Uh, obsessed with jokes from an early age, whether I knew it or not, you know? Were, were you watching any uh, comedy stuff? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I loved the Dick Van Dyke show, which I think was a big influence on me. I think um, 
watching that show and it seemed like fun and it seemed like, oh, you can go and be a comedy writer and whatever. That seemed like that w- I was interested in that from an early age, I think. In the show, he was a comedy writer, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's interesting. I've never seen it. But... Oh. <laughs> well, there's... Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it was on in reruns when I was a kid, but I mean, it's, I guess it's still on, uh, you know, MeTV or TV Land or something. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm actually surprised. Not everything holds up, but I'm surprised how much does hold up. Interesting. Yeah, it was actually a pretty hip show, which I didn't realize at the time. I mean, you look at now, and it's like you know he's going to see his therapist, and and some of the conversations they have, and they're. And he gets uh, one of his coworkers um, hurts his feelings or whatever, and his wife's like, "Well, maybe it's a riff." It's like, "No, it's not a riff." And just even using that kind of terminology, I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." That that's the same things that we would say, you know. Um, and I think of some of the husband and wife stuff, or some of the parenting stuff, or whatever that I wasn't relating to as a kid. I could watch now and and, and appreciate it on a different level. Interesting. And the Mary Tyler Moore show was the spinoff of that. Uh, well, was not that right? uh, no, not really. It, it she she was the she played his wife on that, mm-hmm. but she was this was a different character when she got her own show, and okay. uh, they were originally uh, on the Mary Tyler Moore show. They were originally going to have her be divorced. But then people, they said the network said people would think that she left Rob Petrie, so they decided <laughs> to just have her be. A single woman. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Because the Mary Tyler Moore show, I felt like, was very hip. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. Oh, yeah. And and the lines were great. Jeez. And the characters. I mean, you've got, you know, Betty White's playing this promiscuous Martha Stewart character. Mm-hmm. It's a hilarious character, right. you know? And even Ted Baxter, where it's like, the you know... The silver-haired, handsome guy with the deep voice, who's actually a complete imbecile, doesn't know anything. It's, uh, you know, these are some great characters, you know. <laughs> uh, so, when you were like uh, in high school, were you started doing any comedy stuff? Uh, I used to write jokes, yeah. just for myself, uh, for thinking that I would need them someday. <laughs> and I had like little three by five cards, and I would think of a joke, and I would write it down, and I'd put it in there. I had like a little box, like, like my mother would keep her recipes, you know. Right. And um, I don't know what I thought it was, you know, I thought just in case I might need these, you know. And then, um, and I would write jokes as a, you know, as a teenager uh, from time to time as just sort of a hobby or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a comedian, but I didn't know how to become a comedian because no one was a comedian then, really. I mean, there was a few famous people on TV, but it wasn't like now where there's people have that as a profession and you, you might everyone kind of maybe knows somebody who does it or something right. then you never knew anyone who was a comedian you know did you do you have any jokes that you remember that you wrote like way back then um i there was a joke i wrote i remember a, i had a joke about uh because because uh president ford is running against ronald reagan for the republican nomination and i had a joke about Reagan being an actor and Gerald Ford being a stuntman or some joke like that mm. because he was right. always fun. Yeah. But I remember I, I had written that joke and then Rich Little was quoted in the Boston Herald for making the same joke. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking, I was like, oh, hmm. At least, you know, 
I'm writing the same joke as this professional comedian or whatever. And I was, you know, 14 or whatever. And I remember thinking, hmm, that's pretty good. Like, I wasn't like, hey, that's my joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not that he would, you know. But it was kind of, um, it made me feel like, oh, I'm on the right track here or something, you know. Uh, did you go to college? I did. I went to Boston College. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you major in? Uh, English. English? Yeah. yeah, lame. And so you were always, were you always thinking still that you'd kind of do com- something comedy related? yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, I, I, I didn't know how to get there, but I, I knew that's where I wanted to go. Were you doing stand up at this time? Uh, I started in college, yeah, and um, I took a, uh, I took a summer school class taught by Dennis Leary at Emerson. Wow. And, and in the class, we would write. I think we we wrote a sitcom. Everyone had their different things they were working on, but I wrote a sitcom and I wrote some stand up, and then he had us do stand up in the class. And then, um, and then I started going to open mics after that, and so, um, and then, in that class, it was like, give, was he like giving you like lots of notes? Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do you remember like what, what anything he said specifically? Uh, well, there were times where it was like, you have a premise and you have. Um, I, you you kind of want to have the first one be sort of. You want to have the, the dirtiest one, or the strongest one last, I guess, that kind of okay. thing. You want to kind yeah. of build to something like that. And then also, I do remember um, there was that thing of it's very hard to do sort of non fictional and fictional comedy simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if um, I remember seeing this guy do this bit about. You know, my girlfriend was drafted by the Vikings. Not the Minnesota Vikings. Like, the actual Vikings came and took her from the beach or whatever. And they did a joke where he's holding up newspapers and showing the headlines. Like, isn't this ridiculous? It's like, well, it is ridiculous, but your your girlfriend was just abducted by the Vikings. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you can't kind of... Um, you have to be in one or the other, kind of, yeah. you know. So I think that was something I took away from there too. Yeah, some little things like that. Mm-hmm. So you start doing uh, open mics. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're like, how long did you feel like until you were like decent? Uh, well, I, it was one of those. It was funny. In those days, it was all or nothing. I, I either yeah. had a really good set or I totally bombed, mm-hmm. you know. And it was seemed like every other week, you know. And I mean, you know, basically it's mostly open micers I'm doing the show with, although there were professional comics there too or whatever. But um, it was it was that kind of all or nothing kind of thing for a while. And I also would, when I was bombing, I would do some sort of off-the-cuff bombing jokes that, that did pretty well. It kind of saved me a little bit, you know. And then when I started doing well... I would still just do the bombing jokes because I was used to the, doing the bombing jokes, and the crowd's like, "You know, we're laughing. What's the problem?" Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it was like I was just so used to doing them. I was like, "Oh, I always do that joke. I always do that here when it doesn't work. I wasn't expecting it to work." You know? <laughs> so, uh, who are, who are the comics that you're uh, coming up with? Uh, well, um, of of the the. People at my level, I guess the open micers at my level. Uh, well, Dana Gould and I started roughly oh, wow. at the same time, uh, within a couple of weeks of each other. Um, and uh, Mark Marin, um, he was a little bit after me, but not much. Um, Louis was a couple of years after me. Uh, David Cross was around the same time. Uh, Anthony Clark. 
Uh, Jeanine Graffalo was a little bit after me, mm-hmm. um, but just a year or two, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so we were all around the same time. What was it like, uh, like doing comedy with so many great comics, like? around your level well it was interesting i mean we were all just finding our way then you know and also there was you know we were working it's funny in we were working in boston which was a certain kind of comedy went well and then we were also working in cambridge mass where you know harvard is and mit is and whatever and that's got a very different vibe Mm -hmm. to it so and that sort of was a place with sort of political correctness before there was such a thing and so on where boston was very was much more sort of meat and potatoes and whatever so um you know you know we didn't always do well in the sort of the boston or that some of these one-nighters and so on that kind of thing you know so some of these acts that you never heard of that I wasn't a fan of did great, <laughs> you know, and and then there are acts that I liked and that we didn't always do well, you know, but I, f- I do feel like we worked at Catch a Rising Star in Cambridge um, starting when I was like 25 and uh, that was a great room for us and that actually was a room where it was like, oh, you could actually be, it didn't have, everything didn't have to be a dick joke or it didn't have to be, you know, angry <laughs> or whatever, you know. Um, and that, um, I think that atmosphere helped all of us kind of, uh, develop our own voices and our, and what we really wanted to do, that kind of thing. Well, uh, what kind of material were you doing? Was it a lot of like, uh, jokes or like kind of stories? Or... Well, in the very beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. I remember yeah. early on, even to, like trying to do impressions and stuff. And then it's like, you know, by my third show, I'm like, wait, I'm a terrible impressionist. Like what? <laughs> so you kind of learn like, what are you doing? And, and I was kind of all over the place in the beginning, but then you kind of figure things out. And I used to love, you know, I still love, but I, Stephen Wright was a big influence of mine. And I would do sort of some off-the-wall Stephen Wright-type jokes that they just didn't buy coming from me. So you kind of had to figure out your persona and what, how the audience perceived you and what, what you were about and all that kind of stuff. So then I quickly... Um, it didn't take too long before I just started doing jokes, just, you know. And for a while, I did a lot of topical jokes. Um, but I, it still, it was just... Set up punchline and here's a bunch of jokes. And right. Yeah. So, uh, so how long? I mean, like obviously when you're doing those jokes, mm-hmm. you have to write so much more material. So much more, yeah. So is that something you consistently did? Well, I did. I mean, it, it was very hard for me. I remember, you know, when I had to do 20 minutes, it's like, oh my god, Jeez, 20 yeah. minutes, you know. And then when I had to do 30 minutes, a lot of times, you know, you'd be middling and. You know, around the 23-minute mark, is like, well, that's about all I got, <laughs> you know? Because um, it, it's just, it's so many jokes. And even now, you know, when I headline, it's like 140 jokes or 150 jokes. That's a lot yeah. of jokes, you know? So um, it, that's a good style to have for television because you can get a lot of punchlines in in a, in a short amount of time. But when you're doing an hour or 45 minutes, it's just so many jokes, you right. know? Um, so I don't recommend. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you started in Boston, mm-hmm. and you, how long were you doing stuff in Boston? Well, really for a long time because um, you know it was my home, and then um, you know um, even when the Conan show started, I was going back and forth for a few years. Be- oh wow! Well, 
you know, my wife was a VP of a company in Boston. Okay. And the Conan show was very kind of shaky in the early days. And I only had these 13-week contracts. So um, once um, when my son was born, I was, um, they let me work from home one or two days a week. And then we had, you know, 10 or 12 weeks off. So I was in New York. I tended to be in New York like um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then I'd be home the rest of the week. But uh, And then also with the weeks off, so it, I would, you know, so for a while, I, you know, I did that probably longer than I should have. But I did that for a while, yeah. Would you recommend someone starting out now to start outside of uh, New York or L.A.? Well, I... I, I I think it's very difficult in L.A. to be an open micer and get, you know, I feel like a lot of those, a lot of the rooms you're working at, it's just for other open micers and there's, it's, I don't know how people get out of there and move up, you know. So I do think going to a smaller city where you can really develop your act and have, have an act when you move to New York or move to L.A., I don't think is a bad idea because, um you can you, I think you can get better stage time at some in these other cities mm-hmm. um, and but I do think once you know I, I do think it's a good idea if you're if you just want to do stand up I don't you know some people you know people want to have jobs on writing on sitcoms or being on sitcoms or writing on writing in movies or doing whatever it is so I understand why that you know if people are more into acting or something I can see moving to LA but if if you just want to do stand up I think once you have an act, that's a good place to go because you can do multiple shows in a night and really just get better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just that more stage time you get. It's that that Malcolm Gladwell thing about putting your ten thousand hours in. I just think it's easier in New York to to do that. It's you know, L.A. A lot of times, the, you're you know, you get booked on a show, you don't know what time you're on. And the clubs are so far apart, it's hard to double or triple up. Where in New York, you can do two or three shows in a night with not out too much difficulty. Mm-hmm. Do you still do open mics uh, these days? Uh, well, I don't do open mics, but I'll yeah. do shows where it's you know it's a showcase or it's just yeah. a bar show or it's just a you know some of it is just to go work on my act you yeah, know yeah. because some of the A rooms. You know, I can't be out there with my notebook and I go, hey, wait, what do you think? You know, so um, I need those other rooms to try out stuff. And 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 I'm fine if if there's 20 people in the room. It's like if I can get a good read on four new jokes, that's worth my time. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think um, people don't realize it. it's like you just have to do a ton of shows all the time. Yeah. And that's the only way, to me, that's the only way you just keep getting better and you keep getting new jokes and, and you keep, your act keeps improving, hopefully. So you're, so you're doing comedy like in Boston, mm-hmm. kind of early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, what are like the jobs that you're even thinking about uh, getting? Because is, is, it, is it like right before the comedy boom or is it like right in the middle? Or? Well, I, you know, in the, in, the, in the late 80s, there was a comedy boom, which I was able to be part of, which was great. And I was able to, you know make my living and it wasn't like you know I had my little apartment and I had my crappy car and all that stuff but I was able to make a living and whatever and then when I started headline and started getting some TV spots then the boom ended and I was actually making less money it's like wait a minute (laughs) you know I actually have some credits now and whatever what was like your first uh, TV spot 
Well, there was the first one. I was 25. They had a uh, the CBS Morning Program would uh, would put comic. What they would do is they they re- record you, and then they would cut it up into like a two minute thing, and they would make it look like they were throwing to you in the studio. Oh yeah. But it was all pre-recorded. You know, we had done it two months earlier or something. So I got on that a couple of times uh, before they changed the format, and then I did. They had, you know, Evening at the Improv and Comedy on the Road and Caroline's Comedy Hour. So A&E had these comedy shows that I did those. And then uh, finally when um, uh, when I after I was married a year, I got on The Tonight Show a couple of times with Jay Leno. So that was sort of my first big break, I guess. Mm-hmm. When you're doing uh, stand-up for TV, mm-hmm. what are you, like, thinking of differently? Well... It's it's um, every joke's got to work, right. you know. It's got to be very tight. Um, it's also sometimes you have a joke and you don't realize that's a local expression or something like that. So you can't have anything like that. Uh, it's you know it's got to be clean. Um, it's um, you know you, you, you if you have a, if something doesn't work, you don't have time to recover. If you have a long set and something doesn't work. You know, whatever you're doing, forty-five minutes a joke here it doesn't work, and there it's not a big deal. But when you're doing a five-minute TV spot, it's everything has to go. You know, um, so it's something you just have to practice over and over, and and uh, it's quite nerve-wracking, I have yeah. to say. Yeah, you've done, you've done like a bunch. I have, yeah. What, what, what advice would you give to a comedian doing a, a, sh- a late-night show or something for the first time? Um, well, I think that it's, you've, you want, you want, you don't want to let them know how terrified you are, (laughs) you know? I do think that you have to, to be like, hey, this is, this is fun. I've, you know, this is what I've been working towards. So they want to see you having fun out there. They don't want to see you come out, you know, terrified, even though you are. Um, I think you can also, um... Take your time and not rush. Hmm. And, but, you know, when the laugh is over, then start the next one, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a little tricky. It's, the, it's that thing of take your time, but don't take too much time, I guess. And you, you know, you've been at Conan for years. Mm-hmm. Who, who are like the favorite comedians you've seen like do sh- uh, shows on Conan? Well, I know you know Conan was a, always loved Dave Chappelle. He was always yeah. amazing, and he was one of his favorite guests. And I think it was a relief for Conan to have someone come on and just be funny and just Conan relax and just laugh and enjoy him. You know, so I you know I don't I hate to speak for him, but I think I would say he was probably Conan's. He's probably Conan's favorite, but. Um, you know, um, I'm going to leave somebody out. I'm almost afraid to say names or whatever. But, the, you know, I mean, I, I do feel like we do, you know, Laurie Kill Martin just killed on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, Louie was always funny on the show. Marin always did a great job. Todd Barry. Um, yeah, there's Gaffigan. There's a ton, you know, there's a bunch. And I think that um, Dion Cole did great. And then that kind of... We ended up hiring him, and then that kind of propelled his career. So, um, and I think now they're trying to put on some sort of alty type comics like Tignataro and John Doerr and some people that, like that the last few years that uh, kind of 
it's almost kind of like the old days in Boston where it's almost putting these Cambridge type comics on, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is fun. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so, uh, I, you know, I do appreciate the show puts on a comic, I would say once a week. So, uh, Cocoon's definitely the, the best for that. I think, right? I, I think so too. It doesn't seem like these other shows are putting them on too often now. So yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, Jimmy Fallon like, almost never does. I feel like, yeah, you know, I purposely don't watch the other shows cause yeah. I don't want to be influenced by them, but I don't hear of comics saying, hey, I'm doing Fallon or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, very rarely. Uh, it seems like famous people, but um, I just don't hear about it very often. Mm-hmm. So uh, I interrupted you before. Back in, so the comedy boom is ending as mm-hmm. you're getting on TV spots. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, so what are you doing next? Well, um, um, I'm having some anxiety attacks. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, I was going on the road more. I was trying to, you know, do what I can and then luckily I got hired at Conan. So um, I've been kind of fortunate where I kind of timed the boom correctly, just coincidentally. And then as the boom subsided, I was able to get a TV job. So I've been pretty lucky. And was that, was that like always like the like the big job, like the late night TV job? Is that was kind of what you wanted? Uh, well, I did. Uh, I, I thought that maybe I would write sitcoms someday, you know. Um, but um, I... You know, I would do shows. It's always that sort of left hand. You do a show and you come off stage and someone, you know, the other comic or even someone in the audience would be like, hey, you're a really good writer, which was kind of a left-handed compliment because it's yeah. like, well, I I wasn't handing out sheets of paper that are <laughs> things that I'd written. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was that kind of thing of I knew that my writing as opposed to my performing was my strength, you know, and I'd heard that a, a million times from people. So I I did think... It was possible that I could get a writing job, you know, but I, I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> I was just kind of doing what I was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. How did the Conan gig happen? Well, uh, somebody got fired, and they were looking for somebody to help write his monologue. And I, I you know, I did have a lot of topical jokes at the time. So uh, my friend Tom Agna was working there, and my friend Chuck Sklar and Louis C.K. And these were all guys that I'd worked with in Boston and in Cambridge and, and around New England. So um, they had me send in a packet, and I I wrote some new topical jokes from what was going on in the news, but I also typed up about 50 jokes from my act that I'd been doing for the last couple months. And they called me on Monday and said, okay, you start tomorrow. So then I just wow. yeah, started the next day, yeah. So you sent in like over 50, over 50 jokes? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> is that typical for a packet? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't... Yeah, it's probably about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show had, had just started, right? It was, like it was like, six months old, yeah. Six months old. So what were... Uh, it was famously, like, in kind of a... It was famously always on the verge of getting canceled for the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It was... There were a lot of shaky moments in the, in the, in the early days. Yeah, yeah, so what was it like entering that? Well... I mean, you would be reading, you know, the, they gave you a stack of newspapers on your desk every morning and you'd go through them and try to find stuff to write jokes about. But every day there'd be an article in the New York Post, the New York Daily News about who was going to replace Conan. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah, that was a little bit, you know, so I, you just, I kind you kind of thought this is going to be for 13 weeks or 26 weeks and, and whatever. We were really for the first couple of years there, we were kind of looking over our shoulder like are they you know do you kind of come in Mondays like well the lights are still on and whatever you know so yeah it was um, it was quite nerve wracking mm-hmm. what was that writer's room like um, 
Well, it's funny. The um, in the early days, I didn't. The the monologue writers kind of worked separately, and we still kind of work separately for the most part. Um, but they would have me come in. Well, we wouldn't do shows on Mondays, I guess, for a while. We, we just we did four shows a week after a while, and we didn't do shows on Mondays. So they would have me work with the sketch writers and write. We used to do those year 2000s, oh, really? you know, or we'd do, we did a lot of sort of celebrity-driven bits that would sort of, uh, you know, we did staring contests and we did um, uh, children's drawings and we did all these other bits that he did at the desk. And um, so I would go in and help and write those and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh so you were writing monologue jokes mm-hmm. for your own stand-up, and now you're writing them um, for Conan. Was that like a big shift? It, it was a shift. I mean, um, it. Um, I I didn't have too hard a transition because he and I kind of had some similar sensibilities with two repressed Irish guys, you know. <laughs> but um, there were, you know, um, I, I would kind of try to. Um, Write a kind of a kind of cleverly word a setup, and he'd be like, "Nope, the president did this and said this," you know, and, and it would he would kind of had a very sort of bare bones style that that you know you have to kind of um, I think anyone writing for any host you have to capture their voice, and you go, "Oh, I would have said it this way, but he wants to say it that way," and I think you have to learn of I'm going to say it his way, you know. Um, so uh, I had to learn that, and and then. There were, for the most part, like I did like a lot of sort of wordplay jokes in those days, and he hated those kind of jokes. So I had to quickly not do those. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, I would write enough jokes that um, I would find enough that he liked, you know. What, what was like a typical day like back then? Well, I'd get in around nine, and you'd have the stack of newspapers, and you'd go this through, and you'd see what he's going to joke about, and and it is that thing of you know, there's a train crash and a hundred people die or whatever. I don't even see that story. You know, you just skip over it, and you go to the where you can what you can talk about. And there are times when I came home, and my wife would say something about the train crash, and I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, well, it's like, "Well, didn't you read five papers today?" It's like. Yeah, but I didn't read that, you know. And so you're just looking for, um, you know, what the president did that day or, um, you know, at those times we would do jokes about, you know, Michael Jackson or mm-hmm. the O.J. Simpson trial or uh, whatever was the story, yeah. When you do a show, like, the day after something, like, really bad happens that you mm-hmm. can't ignore, what's, like... Your like, well, how do you approach that? Well, I, the worst I remember was the 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 Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. It was really bad, and we still had shows. Like you know, when nine eleven happened, we were off the air for a couple of weeks, yeah. so that actually we didn't have to go in the next day and try to write jokes. I mean, how could we? But with the Oklahoma City bombing, we were back to work the next day, and you know, there was just nothing to write about and I remember you know they have that little state by state thing in the USA Today mm-hmm. and so we'd you know Conan would come out and 
He'd be like, oh, did you hear about this comptroller in Dayton, Ohio? And the crowd's like, no, what are you talking about, you know? But we just couldn't go anything, go anywhere near what was actually going on. So I think that was the, the roughest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for just a, a couple of days we did, you know, you know, a woman in Kansas found a, a an onion that looks a little bit like Nixon. And you didn't <laughs> yeah. make a joke about that, you know, these offbeat, obscure stories, so... But we did, there was pre-internet, believe it or not. So can you imagine? So we're just find, trying to find stuff in the newspaper that we can uh, talk about. Right. Uh, so when when did you when did it start feeling like the show wasn't going to get canceled? Well, I think once we started getting some uh, Emmy nominations, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, hmm, we're going to the Emmys, and we'd go to the Emmy. So we did that every year for you know, and once that started happening, then it was kind of like. Uh, and then, you know, Conan got to host the Emmys, and then it was kind of like, uh, hey, I think we're part of the thing here now, you know? So it was kind of a slow, and you didn't even want to jinx it by saying, hey, I think we're, you know, okay here for a while. I mean, it was sort of a slow build, and then eventually it was like, kind of like, oh, I guess we're, we're going to stay in the air for a while. Uh, how involved was Conan, like, in all the writing process and stuff? Well, he's actually very hands-on. I think everything, you know, the sketch writers who write a sketch, and that gets approved by the head writer, and we'd they'd do it for him in rehearsal, and he'd say, nope. Or he'd say, we don't need that first part, or I would change the ending and do this. And, and so he's he does a lot of rewriting. He does a lot of editing. Uh, with the monologue jokes, there are times when he'd say, no, I'd say it, it's the same idea, but he'd say, I'd say it more like this, or you don't need this part, or he would um, kind of uh, change the phrasing from time to time. Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably because he was like a big writer before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, you he, and, and I understand also you, you, you don't want to say things that don't sound like you as you're mm-hmm. talking. And, and he certainly... Um, was a comedy writer for a long time. So, and, a, you know, he's a brilliant guy. So he, and there are times when I, even now where I'll write a joke and I think it's like 80% there. Like the idea is there. It's, it's, but it's not quite right. And he's very good at fixing that kind of thing. So Cone, when Conan started, he was uh, pretty green as a performer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, when you do like four shows a week, sure. you become, you know, very used to it. You're good to it. Uh, as he's gotten like a better performer and gotten older too, has the voice of the show changed? Um, uh, yeah, I do think the show. It. Um, I think that we were maybe. I think we were a little sillier or something in the early days, maybe, and a little more. Um, but there would be more. You know, we took some big swings. Which is great when they when you connect, but then there sometimes we had some big swings and misses. So I think there's fewer of those now. I think we did a lot more celebrity stuff in the old days, mm. and um, we hardly do any celebrity stuff now. I mean, we do stuff about what's about politics, but in terms of Hollywood star, you know, I think we we did a lot of jokes about the Hollywood stars in those days, and I, I don't know, it just kind of changed. You know, um, so uh, when, when Conan gets the, the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. is that like a very exciting time for everyone? 
It was. It was. I mean, it was kind of this weird thing where it's 2004 and they say, okay, in 2009. So it is, it's a little bit of someone saying to you, okay, on, in five years from now, on March 20th at 2 p.m., this guy's going to knock on the door and punch you in the face. So you're like, okay, so you're, you know, this thing is going to be coming down the road at some point, but it's, it was so far away, then it was less far away, you know, whatever. So, it was a little bit strange. And then we, um, to prepare, we went back to five days a week, mm. which was a huge ground. Ha- having that extra day to work on stuff for the next week and so on um, was a huge advantage. And um, now suddenly you have that taken away. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just sort of unfortunate the way everything worked out, you know. When you're when you're ending the late night show, uh, was there a thought of like, oh, this is like the end of this iteration, so there's like a way to end this? Sure. I mean, it was that thing of, it was you know we were on late late enough that we could kind of um, experiment, and you knew it's eleven thirty, you kind of you it's you can't experiment really, you know right. you you kind of have to have the goods, you know, um, so. Uh, it's definitely and and it was it was kind of this happy time of we were you know a lot of us it was our first job in television and you know we're doing the silly show and um, people didn't think that we would kind of make it (laughs) and we hung in there and we're able to to um, to have a show that we were proud of so yeah I think we have uh, a lot of fond memories of the old show and and some of the you kind of forget some of the bad stuff or some of the pressures or some of the stress and all that stuff when you look back but you kind of just remember for the most part you remember the funny bits and and the fun and the you know the writers room is always fun you know mm-hmm. do you, and do you guys start preparing for this night show right right when the late night show ends uh yes and um you know we we it was interesting. It was a bigger studio, and some of the more intimate comedy I think we couldn't do because it was sort of in our little studio, you know. Um, and and if you notice when you do the road shows and you've got two thousand people in the crowd, it's a different comedy than than when you are have an intimate space. And um, so yeah, I do think our our comedy had to be a little more presentational, and also I think that we were kind of thinking. This is an older audience. This is a more mainstream Middle America audience than our little, um, you know, late night crowd. So um, we had a very young audience, and I, you know, and we do again. But I think, um, you know, I think a younger audience kind of will go with us more with our some of our silly, more out there bits. You know. Yeah. Uh, and you also had to move from New York to L.A. Mm-hmm. Was that... I mean, obviously, it's a huge difference for all of you guys. Sure. Was that a big difference in like the actual show, you think? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I do think you have a certain... In New York, there's a certain kind of humor. And New York is almost this presence that's in the room wherever you are, you know. And if if you watch... If a comic sends you a, a, a stand-up set, 
if it's from, you might not be able to tell if he's in Kansas City or if he's in St. Paul or if he's in Denver or if he's in whatever, you know. But New York is a very specific right. kind of comedy and kind of thing, you know. Um, so you're very aware of that, I think. Um, so, and then L.A. is, it's, that's got its own thing, too. So, yeah, I mean... Um, you know, for the home viewer, they're not in New York or they're not in L.A., so it sort of doesn't make the difference to them. But you can't help being influenced by your surroundings, whether if you're in New York or in L.A., mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so when do you start, like, feeling the pressure from about The Tonight Show? Well, the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it was it was very intense. And, you know, The Tonight Show had this tradition of having a longer monologue. So, what we, you know, we used to... You know, in the old days of late night, he only did like four jokes. And then as he started getting close to the Tonight Show, he would ramp it up to whatever. But now we're suddenly doing 15 jokes. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. Yeah. And so, you know, I would just write jokes all day without looking up. And I just had a knot in my stomach the whole time because it was just, mm-hmm. there was just never, it was never enough jokes. You know, and one day I remember I got seven jokes on, and that's a lot of jokes to write yeah. in one day and have on TV. It still wasn't enough. We still could have used more. Right. You know, so that kind of you just felt that pressure of, you know, in New York, if um, if we had a good monologue and we, I mean we were in good shape and and you know I had some time in the afternoon before the show, you know I'd give my dad a call and see how he was doing, and you know he lived in Florida and so on and. In L.A., there wasn't one day where I was like, oh, we're having a good day. I can give my dad a call and see how he is. Where, you know, he was old. And by the time I'd get home at 7.30 or 8, well, he's in bed. Right. You know, so I couldn't even call to talk to him for five minutes and see how he was doing just because we, <laughs> we were under the gun all the time. So it was very stressful. How many jokes are you writing a day in the late night days? And how many were you writing in the night show days? Um, I was probably writing... Uh, you know, 30 or so for the late night days. And then it was 50 or 60. Jeez. Yeah. And and the problem with that also is sometimes it takes 15 minutes to craft the joke correctly and and figure out exactly what the point is and, and get the wording right and so on. When you're doing that many, it's just like, here it is. And and you're not fixing them. You're not... You're not um, Sometimes they need a second or third draft to get it right, and and you just don't have time, you know. And I find on days where I have the most jokes put down on the page, it's not a good day yeah. because it's like a lot of half thought out stuff, you know. Mm. So when when you're doing the first monologue for the Tonight Show, is there like an extra sense of like, oh, this is the first monologue of the Tonight Show, and uh, you know we got to make sure these jokes are real. Home runs, or is that like every day, really? Well, no, I, I do. I do think there was a lot of scrutiny for the first one. I, I think there's one thing that f- is frustrating in that when a show like when a show comes on the air like that. So, if David David Letterman retires and Stephen Colbert comes on, well, everyone's going to watch that first night. So his first night, he's going to his rating. They'll say ten million people watched or whatever it is. And then a week later, they go, oh, you know, he's, his ratings have dropped down. It's like, you know, it's a totally different thing. You know, when I was a kid, I remember 
uh, in every baseball stadium, opening day, everyone would sell out. Well, the next day, there'd be 10,000 people there instead of 35 or 40,000. Right. And they go, oh, they'd, well, yeah, it's not an event, you know. And, uh, you know, so this, it was, yeah, I mean, we did feel like that first show, especially, you know, how's going to you know, everyone's tuning in or whatever. And I think it's, especially where it is the thing you do every day, it's like opening day. If your team loses opening day, it doesn't mean the season's over. You got 161 more games, right. you know. So, I think some of that stuff is is absurd, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was in- intense. When uh, when you got word that the show was gonna get was gonna end, what was like the writers' thoughts for like the rest of the episodes? Well, it was it. Um, it's funny because people were very, uh, I remember it was January 7th and people were very emotional and whatever. And I had no reaction. I think I was just in shock. You know, you, I moved my family across the country and bought a house and now I'm suddenly out of work and all that stuff. And my wife had quit her job and all that kind of thing. And I remember just being in shock. And then a week later, it was my wife's birthday and we we're out to dinner with this other couple and they kept talking about it. And then it just sort of hit me. And I don't think I said a word for an hour and a half. You know, we're out to dinner with those people. I'm just sitting there in my own depression, like, oh, my God, what have I, you know, what's going to happen here? So um, that was, yeah, it was. And then it was also the kind of thing where everywhere you went, people were talking about the Conan thing and, and wherever, you know, you get in line at a coffee shop and the people in front of you are talking about it. They have no idea that you're working on Conan or right. whatever, but it was that kind of thing of, it was like on Gilligan's Island where you turn on the radio and they're talking about the castaways. Like every time you turn on the TV or turn on the radio, they're talking about the Conan situation and whatever. And it was just this sort of surreal couple of weeks where um, that's all everyone was talking about. And, um, it was, you know, just this sort of media frenzy, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, one nice thing was we did see there would be these rallies where Conan fans would kind of get together and cheer for him and cheer for the show and that kind of stuff. And I think that was a nice to know that there were we did have fans out there that liked us and liked the show and, and were supporting us. That was a nice thing. I remember the original thing was that Leno was going to start at 10 or something, mm-hmm. and then Conan started at, like... Or Leno was going to start at 10.30, Conan started at 11, right? Uh, no, Jay had a show... Had a, They moved him to primetime right. where he had a show from 10 to 11. Oh, okay. Uh, every night, and then Weed came on at 11.30. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's how they did it. But wasn't, the, wasn't like, the first proposed thing was that Leno was going to move... Later. Oh well, then then when the the ten, the the, the J ten thing didn't go well, yeah. So they decided, well, we'll move J back to eleven thirty, and then we'll. I I, I don't know if Conan was going to be at twelve oh five or so, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Was that ever considered or? Uh, well, uh, you know, I don't I don't know what uh, Conan's thoughts right. were or whatever, but I can't speak for him. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you know the show's ending. Uh, I mean, the last like two or three weeks of that show were, were very famously lots of jokes about uh, NBC. Yes, yes. What was like the thinking behind doing that? Um, well, um, 
I guess it kind of was like the big elephant in the room. It would be impossible it, not to. It was. I mean, it, that was what everyone was talking about, and it was our thing. And I think that we were all, um, I, 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 you know, we were only on for seven months, and, and we didn't really feel like we got our fair shake, you know. But, I mean, that's life. But I do think that we were kind of... Um, you know, it is that thing of it's like someone being fired, but then they've got two more weeks in the job. Right. <laughs> you know, there's some, you know, there's going to be some anger towards your employer, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I mean, we had fun with it, but it was fun with it at NBC's expense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, is looking back now, is there anything you wish you guys had done differently that it would have maybe kept the show on, or do you, you think it was just always a bad situation? Um, yeah, I don't know how that it would have been resolved in any, you know, it just, um, it was just one of those things, you know, yeah. I don't know. So the the show ends, uh, and Conan, uh, I remember it was kind of unclear what he was going to do next. Sure. So what are, what are you thinking at this time? What are you doing? Uh, well, I, um, I was waiting to see, you know, where he was going to land. Uh, I actually wrote a novel in the meantime. Oh, yeah. I had started working on one, and then I just went and worked on it every day because I just, it was like, you know what? I need something to do, and I needed, I, I kind of need some structure, and I need, you know. Um, so I did that, and then. And this, uh, is, this is the Astounding Misadventures? Uh, yeah, yeah. My, the publisher just went out of business, so people are having, people are like, oh, I can't find your book. It's like, I know, I don't have to tell you, <laughs> you know. But um, it, it, um, you know, and actually, you know, that stuff, I mean, it was good for me to go do work on something else and feel creative. And, and, and that was a very rewarding experience for me personally, you know. But um, but it was a stressful few months. I mean, um, you don't know what's going to happen next. And, and um, yeah, <laughs> you know, just being out of work and you just yeah. it's just like anyone who's out of work. It's a drag, you know. So uh, when you wanted to do the book, did you uh, just like talk to your like uh, agent or manager and then? No, well, I had you know what happened was I was taking this class and I wrote what I thought was a short story and the teacher's like, well, that's not a short story, that's a first chapter of a novel. And I was like, it is. So each week I would bring back and I'd bring another chapter, you know. Oh, okay. And then when this happened and I suddenly had all this time, I would just work on it every day, and. Um, I actually got my manager from that because, you know, I showed her the script I'd written and this other thing, whatever, and she, it was the book that she liked, and then that, you know, and that helped me in that way, yeah. So, uh, you've worked at Conan for over 20 years. Yeah, 23 years, yeah. Would you ever want to do something different? Uh, if the right opportunity, I, I don't think I would want to go to another late night show I wouldn't you know but I think I would if I got a job writing a sitcom especially you know if I can get my kids through college then it's like you know they're both in college now that that then I can just kind of do you know I would like to do something other else creatively and and um, yeah I would like to try something else if, uh, if something else comes around so, uh, Conan uh, gets a new show on TBS, mm-hmm. and you're hired as the head monologue writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, like, the duties of that job? 
Well, it's the kind of thing of if he doesn't like the jokes, I'm the one that has to go into his office and go, what do you mean? <laughs> but, I mean, we don't have a contentious relationship. I mean, there are times where it's just a terrible news day or something, and he'll we'll go in and he'll go, well, what do you got to talk about here? You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, we'll look at this and that. And, and, and still there are days where uh, what's going on in the news is terrible. Um, and, you know, there are sometimes these days full of tragedy or something like that, you know, or... But um, so it's just kind of um, dealing with him directly and, and also, um, you know, just sort of um, having the meetings and running the meetings and that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. And you're hired uh, before the show starts. So, like, what are your, again, you have to shape, like, another show. Mm-hmm. So what, what are the discussions like for that? Well, you know, it's it's um, you know we all, we're all kind of figuring out what kind of show we want to have, and if you know if you watch TV has kind of changed. Where in the old days, Conan would come out do a monologue, the band would play for a minute or two, hit sit down, they talk at the desk, and then they'd do a comedy piece. Now everything is just top loaded. Where he comes out, he does the monologue. Then while he's standing there, he does this next thing and whatever. There's there's sort of no, it's just there's no dead air or something, mm-hmm. you know. And and also um, before he would bring on a guest and then do another comedy piece. Well, now all the comedy is top loaded. Everything's in the first ten minutes or fifteen minutes of the show. So um, you know, these days it's like you just have to get them right away and you can't uh you can't kind of take your time i guess you know (laughs) uh so what's a typical day like now uh well it's similar you know we get in at nine and i'll just look through the internet for premises Mm -hmm. and the monologue team will compile our premises and then we you know read through them and we'll kind of say hey you know what maybe i wouldn't say that joke like this we kind of tweak each other's jokes and also sometimes someone else's thing sparks another joke oh i get another idea how about this and that kind of thing so then we give them the jokes around noon or 12 30 and then around one we get them back from which ones he likes and which is he's like you know more jokes about this and more jokes about that Mm -hmm. and then we'll write the second batch and then we meet with them we all meet with them and then we go through the ones he liked earlier than the new ones and then he kind of picks what is sort of um He'll pick, um, you know, 15 jokes or so at this point. And then he might say, hey, we never got this one joke about the president's birthday or something, you know. Mm -hmm. So we'll write a few more. That's sort of a Hail Mary pass at that point. And then we get together at 4 o'clock and and, uh, quarter 4 with Andy and our producer and, and the head writer. And we'll read through the jokes and then we'll kind of whittle it down to 7 or 8. And then, uh, and then he goes out and does them. How has yeah. the uh, internet made monologue jokes like harder or easier? Uh, it's made it easier in the sense that there's more you can you can dig more and find more stories, right. and uh, you have more resources in that sense. It's made it harder in the sense that with Twitter and Facebook or whatever, everyone's making jokes. Right. And if something happens, you might write, something might happen and you see it and at 9 o'clock and you write the joke about it. Well, by 4 o'clock, someone's 
people on Facebook want to put that same joke on it. Now, you might, you might say, hey, I had it seven hours earlier or whatever. But we just live in this very immediate society. Everything's Twitter and whatever. Everything's happens right away. Um, it's, it's such a fast pace, and there are so many people writing jokes, so that can make it a little bit tr- challenging. Do you... Um... When you're doing jokes, do you look at Twitter at all, or you just try to like? I, I totally avoid it. Do you like when you write a joke? Do you even like search it to see if anyone's done it? Or are you just like, you know, I thought of this joke. I know I did. I didn't look anywhere else. So. Well, that's that's the um, that's the big question. I, I don't look at Twitter, uh, but there are times when we'll have a joke in the meeting, and someone will say, you know, I saw that joke on Twitter or something, so we'll take it off. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, yeah. it's it is that thing of literally thousands of people a day are writing jokes and putting on Twitter. Are we not going to have a monologue ever because somebody in Vermont with his eight followers maybe came up with the same joke? Right. You know what I mean, or a similar idea? I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Do uh, Do you ever hire writers off of Twitter? Uh, uh no, not enough of Twitter, but. We, um, I know that that uh, people have gotten hired off Twitter, mm-hmm. but um, we just do the thing. If there's an opening, it's the same thing. Some people will send in their packets, and and you know, the last time they had an opening, I think we got like two hundred and something packets. Wow. Yeah. So, are you involved with the process at all? Mm-hmm. So we'll look through. Uh, we'll all kind of whittle it down to the ones we like, and then we get a small we. We got it down to about 20. And it's all anonymous. You don't know... All the names are taken off the packets. So you don't know whose things, who's you're reading and whatever. So we get it down to about 20. And then we all read through them together. And then um, discuss the pros and cons of each one. And then we get, it, we get it down to four. And then with the final four, um, you know... Uh, Conan was involved in that and looking at, you know, we're all looking at what do you think of this, you know. Um, and, you know, it's tough because with the top 20, they were all pretty good, yeah. you know. And out of 200 and something, hey, these, you know, these 20 are very good. So you do feel bad for the people that almost get hired. They're close, but there's only one opening. You know, especially you're getting that top four and you don't get hired. It's It's... It's small consolation, but it is that thing of it's there's only one job, and you know, so and they don't they don't know they're in the top four, right? I mean, some people it's consolation. We just say, hey, but if it's uh-huh. any if it's any consolation to you, you made it to the, to the very final round, which some people think, okay, I you know, and 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 also with people, a lot of people on our show didn't get hired the first time, and they send in the second time or the third time, and they get hired. So um, that. That definitely happens. So if if we had another opening, certainly those people in the top twenty, we would contact them first and say, "Hey, can you submit again? Because you almost got it last time." Yeah. So that kind of thing. What What do you look for in a packet? Uh, you want to hear. It's It's interesting. You want to hear jokes that sound like Conan, jokes that he would do. Because sometimes people put in jokes. It's like this is a funny joke. It's too political. It's too sort of heavy handed. Which or it's just not. It's it's too. It's a joke that would kill on The Daily Show, but it doesn't fit Conan. Mm. And then sometimes a joke. It's like that's a funny joke. It's just very sarcastic. That's not his voice either, you know. So you want someone who can capture Conan's voice. Um, but it, and there are some people where their packet. It's like 
yeah, these are jokes that we would do, but these aren't jokes that we love. So you want you 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 know you want to have jokes that um, that Conan would do that we love. That's like all right, that's that's a really that's a you know you want those jokes you go oh I wish I thought of that joke as right. opposed to yeah we all thought of that joke <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Uh, what is uh, would you say Conan's voice? Um, well, that's a good question. I think he is. I think he's. Um, I think he likes jokes that are very sort of visual. That kind of paint an image. I think he's a little bit silly, uh, but I do think that there can be a clever political joke. But it's something that's not too pointed. Mm. Um, so it's that's it, yeah. I, that's what I, I would say. So something that's not uh, not too strident, but. But can be clever and hopefully, and um, I think that there is a um, a certain silly tone or something that he has, you know, mm-hmm. not too harsh or something. Uh, in these like crazy political times, how do you write like topical political jokes? Well, it's it's interesting because sometimes. Sometimes Trump's hard to top. Yeah. You know, he's saying something, and then you write a joke. Oh, then the president said this. It's like he probably would say that. <laughs> you know, it's hard to parody him in a way because the things he does actually say are so outrageous that it's, that that what we have is plausible as opposed right. to being. You know, um, so uh, you know you you're trying to you know the the Bill Clinton jokes we did or the George W. Bush jokes we did. They're they're caricatures of those guys. Right. It's hard to caricature Trump because he's his own caricature, you know. So that can be tricky, but um, and also the story changes so quickly. Yeah. And you have something happens on Monday, and then Wednesday you write a joke about it. It's like no, that's old. We're on to the next thing now. And it's like well, that just happened, (laughs) you know. So that's a little bit frustrating where the news cycle is moving so fast every day now. Um, would before, would you maybe like, uh, have a joke say that you'd want to wait like a couple days to do about a news story? Well, there are some times where we have, you know, say the, the president meets with the Pope and, you know, when we have a, Sometimes we have two or three jokes we like, and it's like, well, we don't want to do all these. Right. So we'll do one. Let's hold this one for tomorrow, and we'll do that. You know, yesterday the president met with the Pope, and blah, blah, blah. Well, with him, things keep changing so fast. It's like, oh, we can't do that story now. It's, yeah. it's, the, we're on to the, whatever. So it's, um, things have a much shorter shelf life, I've noticed, with him. Hmm. And also maybe he's part of the, of the Twitter cycle and all that stuff, too. So I don't know. Uh, what makes like a good monologue joke? Like, what are the hallmarks of a good monologue joke? Uh, it's a joke that uh, is accessible. You know, it, it, I remember when the whole WikiLeaks thing happened, and Conan would come on and talk about Julian Assange. Well, our audience didn't know who Julian Assange. You, you never saw so many <laughs> eyes glaze over. So, you want something that they know who, what you're talking about. Um, it's also something where it's a fresh take that's like, oh, that's a funny way of looking at that. No, we didn't think about that. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and, so, you know, something succinct. And I do think it's the thing of it's tricky. You just can't have the joke be too gentle, you know, or too soft. You need it to have some bite to it, but not so much bite. It's that 
it's that interesting distinction that you know it's it's just a case by case thing. Do you have any uh, favorite monologue jokes over the years that you can remember? Um, I remember I had, there was a joke about um, Alex Trebek. I guess he had uh, he ruptured his Achilles heel. Okay. And we had some joke about, or as he calls it, uh, the. Uh, the heel named for what hero in Greek mythology or something like that. <laughs> and so that was a fun joke, you know, s- stuff like that that's satirical and silly, you know. Are those kind of uh, the more fun monologues where it's not solely based, like, on exactly what happened today, but it's kind of like... Cause that's a joke that I think everyone would laugh at for, like, years from now. Well, hopefully. I mean, it you know, it was that thing of it had just happened, so it's yeah. it's hard to go, hey, two years ago, uh, <laughs> he yeah. ruptured his... But I see what you're saying. I mean, it's not... There are some jokes that have... That we kind of call evergreens, where... You know, there's a new study out that says, you know, people don't need as much sleep, but they're... Well, the new study could have come out six months ago. It's like people aren't going to go, wait, when did that say? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not as dependent on that day or something, right. you know? Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up. Great. With you. Okay, so usually what happens Uh-oh. in this segment, I usually, <laughs> like, I pitch some sort of sketch idea I have. Sure, sure. Uh, I have monologue jokes that I wrote like a couple of months ago for a live show. Okay. But they're not good. I already know they're not good. So maybe, and you can feel free to say no to this, but maybe we could just like talk through like a news story. Sure, sure. And then, so like, like for instance, like you've been off this week, so you didn't get, you didn't really get a chance to do a Scaramucci joke. Right. Well, I have to say, uh, when I'm off, I don't even look at the news. Okay. So people are asking about Scaramucci, and he's already gone by the time we come back on yeah. Monday. <laughs> but like, how would you tackle like a Scaramucci story? Um, well, I. Uh, I guess we'd find out some of the facts or whatever, and I, I, you know, and and I think we'd do some jokes about, you know, his quick exit and 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 that kind of thing. I mean, it would probably be, we'd probably compare it to some movie that came and went or something like right. that, you know, um, or it would be something about his short, how quick his career was, yeah. you know. That kind of thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I don't. I, I'm sorry that I. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I'm asking you to do a huge thing. No, I, I get it. Yeah. I, I would. I'm actually so not up on that story, which yeah. is kind of hilarious. But I mean, normally I would have written twelve jokes about it a, a day. But I honestly, when I I could walk by a newsstand that says World War Three started, and I'm like, I'm on vacation, you know, whatever. So, and it is funny how. This thing, and then my cousin is, you know, texted me like, "Oh, this Scaramucci thing must be great for you." It's like, no, we're off, and he's already gone, and he'll be out of the news cycle to be, by the time we get yeah. back. So it's kind of insane. Um, okay, I'll pitch one joke. Sure, I'd love to hear I'll it. Pitch one joke, um, and because it kind of is almost similar in this in the, something you said. Um, turnout for the recent Los Angeles election was eleven point four forty five percent. That's only slightly lower than the turnout for The Great Wall, which is that Matt Damon movie. Oh, okay. So this is relevant. This is yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. So let's go with that. Uh, that's good. I would say, you know, 11.45%. Bad number. To it, say. Yeah, yeah, I would just say less than 12% or something like that. 11%. You know what I mean? Yeah. I Just simplify that because, you know, we're... Uh, that they, we do get in situations like that where it's like no 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 we don't need the you know yeah. the exact amount or whatever yeah. if it's roughly a million dollars or whatever it is you know um, but yeah I mean I think that we 
we would have done that joke with something like, but made it a Transformers five joke or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. that it's funny. It's funny how like that Matt Damon movie. You want something that's bad that came and went, but that was people don't even know about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So it's tough finding that thing of enough people know about it, but it also disappeared quickly. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good joke. I'll sure. do another one. Let's yeah, what do you got? Well. Sure. Um, a researcher in Wisconsin was the first to discover a virus that has been making people fat. Mm-hmm. The virus. Uh, it can be found in cheeseburgers, French fries, and Coke. Good, good. I, I think we would probably do something like it's it's a virus called known as cheese, oh, and okay. just get right to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Is economy of words very important? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and it's funny. Well, we'll be in the meeting, and it's like, do we need this part here? Do we take out that? You know, it's things get really par- par- parsed down to their bare bones. So yeah. Uh, but you got you're on the right track there. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, uh, that's it. Anything you want to plug? Uh, well, I'm at Flappers. I'm um, uh, the the uh, 25th and 26th of uh, of August. I don't know when this comes out. So okay, yeah, it'll come out. Right okay, yeah. So that that'll, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, great. Coming in uh, every weeknight. Yeah, uh, 11 11 p.m. on TBS. All right, thanks for coming out. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week! Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.